We're talking about Independence Day, too. Anybody seen the original one? It came out like 20 years ago, Independence Day. You know, it's really cool. The, the aliens attack. Will Smith sucker punches the alien, and then they shoot him, and they blow it up, and everything's cool because Earth wins. Yay. And it's, a, it's, it's awesome. I love those kind of movies and because uh, I like to get lost in them. You know, it, it doesn't have people like, that is so far-fetched. Well, yeah, you know, but if it made sense, it wouldn't, you know, I want to see something that, that kind of I can just get lost in. I can turn my brain off a little bit, just kind of be entertained. Anybody seen the new one that just came out? Uh, Independence Day 2, you guys read the same reviews I did before I went to see it. You know, you uh, decided not to go see it or something. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was cool. Again, you know, it's, it's kind of entertainment. It's a cool thing. Um, if you haven't seen it, here's what's going on. You probably surmise from the clips and from what's going on. The aliens come back. It's been 20 years, just like in, you know, in real life. It's been 20 years. And so, um, but the aliens come back, and so they once again have to ward off the enemy that comes from beyond. And, uh, and, and they come in. So... But I, I wanted to talk about it, especially in light of everything, I wanted to talk about spiritual warfare this morning, fighting an enemy. Because you see, the thing that they had to do, and, and, and you heard Bill Paxson's character, the president, uh, in the first one, he, you know, the, the speech he gave where he tried to rally the troops and he got them together. You know, we face an enemy. We face something. Uh, he said, we're not fighting against tyranny. We're not fighting against this. We're fighting against annihilation. And so, you know, he kind of rallied the troops. Well, um, this morning, spiritual warfare is, is not, again, from my, from my Pentecostal background, it's something that gets misused and, and abused a lot. You know, spiritual warfare to a Pentecostal can sometimes mean that, you know, uh, I'm praying that the Lord makes sure we don't run out of fried chicken before I get to the front of the line at the fellowship dinner. You know, it's that kind of, you know, spiritual warfare can sometimes be, be those kind of things. Um, but spiritual warfare, there are some of you this morning that you're fighting something in your life that is bigger than you are, and you don't know how to win. You look at it just like these guys looked at those aliens, and they don't have, I had no clue how they're supposed to defeat that enemy. And that's what spiritual warfare is, is coming into things. I have things in my life that I have to battle that I don't know that I can do it. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that left to my own devices, I probably can't do it. And that's what spiritual warfare is. So, so we're going to talk about that this morning. And in order to set the scene, I, I want to clear it up because, like I said, I come from a background uh, you know, that spiritual warfare gets used and misused. So I want to talk about some things, spiritual warfare, this, things that are not spiritual warfare this morning. Number one, what spiritual warfare is not is Facebook rants. So um, I didn't get very many emails with that. Some of you guys are kind of like, wait a minute. Facebook rants are not spiritual warfare. Now here's the deal. I'm not telling you that Facebook rants are never never good, that they're never something you should do, that never, I, I try, like Pastor Rick, I don't want to use a lot of absolutes there. I'm telling you, I have a rule in, my, in, in, in myself, and uh, it's come from, you know, from years of doing stupid things. And so this rule is before I post something on the internet, before I send an email, before I respond to text, nine times out of 10, I write it out and I read it, and I try to read it objectively. Then I find somebody smarter than me, my wife, and I give it to her, and I say, here, read this. And she looks at it and she's usually like, Go back and change that. Or, or you really want to say this? Is this what you intend? No, that's not what I intend. Uh, when I'm doing blogs and articles, uh, my best friend is a, uh, uh, she's an editor. And so I send it to her and she edits stuff for me. And oh, we, we have the biggest fights we ever have over these things because she edits. And it's like, you don't understand what I'm trying to say? And she's like, you don't talk plain. That's why. So, um, but you know, and, and so for me, I do that because I represent Jesus to some people in my life. There are people in my life that I am the only representative of Jesus that they're going to see. I know, poor people, but you know, that's the, I'm, I'm the best they got. And so I don't want to do anything 
that is gonna, they're going to read and say, that's what Jesus is about? That's what Jesus thinks is important? And so for me, I try to do that. I'm not giving you anything, and I'm not trying to, you know, if the Lord convicts you that, whatever, you know, that's fine. But I'm, I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you for me. And, but Facebook rants so many times, we, you know, we want to do that. There's nothing wrong with posting what you believe and standing up so that people read your Facebook page and know what you believe. But understand, that is not spiritual warfare. That is not going to defeat an enemy. That is a physical tool, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. Another thing that spiritual warfare is not are bumper sticker theology. Now, you guys know what I'm talking about. I, can, I guarantee you there's three or four quotes that I can, I can start and you can finish. It's not Adam and Eve. It's, it's God made Adam and Eve, not you guys know the rest of that. Uh, turn or burn, you know, uh, get right or get left, those kind of things that came out from the, if you don't understand those, ask an old person because they probably get that because we had those back when. But it's that bumper sticker theology. It's these little sayings. They're really cool, you know, too blessed to be stressed, these kind of things. And, and, and we take it and we begin to make that theology out of it. The problem is this. It's not spiritual warfare. You are not, uh, you are not taking warfare out into the streets when you put that bumper sticker on your car. Most likely you're causing confusion or you're just aggravating people um, because they look at that and they see it and if they don't agree with it, bumper sticker, the- I, I read a whole book that... Um, uh, it, was, it was really cool. It was called Lord Save Me From Your Followers. And it was about this guy, and, and, and he, had, uh, he, he, he talked about bumper sticker theology. If you can wrap up your theology in a bumper sticker, it's probably pretty shallow. Um, no offense, that's just, that's just the truth of it. And so, um, you know, we have to be careful that that's not spiritual warfare. Again, I'm not telling you there's anything wrong with that. I'm just telling you that the fish, the Jesus fish that we put on our cars, you know, those are great. Just make sure you're not flipping people off on the interstate if you've got a Jesus fish on your car, okay? Make sure you're not cussing at the person when they cut you off in traffic in the mornings. You know, there's a reason I don't put Christian bumper stickers on my car. Just kidding. <laughs> Kinda. Um, bumper sticker theology is not spiritual warfare. There's another thing that's not spiritual warfare, cheesy church signs. Anybody seen a sign of the last week that says, if you think it's hot here, wait till you see hell. Anybody seen something along those lines in the last week? Um, you know, uh, the church, you know, the church signs that say things like turn, I really saw one that actually said turn or burn. And it had the, I was like, that's, that's compelling them into the house of the Lord. All right. Um, you know, and we, we, we put these things on there. There was a, there was a church, uh, when I used well, the church I was on staff at for years in Florida, there was a church down the road from us and no joke. They had a sign that said, it said great white throne or Bema seat judgment. Which one will you be at? How many in here know the difference between those two and you have any clue what I'm talking about? There's about two or three of you and you guys, you know, th- those guys I happen to know uh, are, have ministry experience. The rest, you know, the rest of us, you know, we, the, you got to be, you got to be pretty deep in some eschatological study to know what those things are. You got to know what eschatological mean first off. Um, and so, you know, the, people don't know that's not spiritual warfare. That's simply confusing people and doing things. Again, if, if God leads you to put that on there, I'm not God. Do what God told you to do because he's bigger than I am. But I'm telling you, those things are not spiritual warfare. So now that we kind of get that out of the way, I want to talk about what spiritual warfare is this morning for the next few minutes. Spiritual warfare, the most important thing, there's three things, uh, three or four things I want to talk about. The first thing of spiritual warfare is you have to know who the enemy is. In the movie, especially the first one, since most of us have seen the first one and not all of us or hardly any of us have seen the second one. Uh, the first one, you know, they, they come from, uh, the enemy comes from another planet and they come to attack Earth. 
Earth has people, factions that fight each other. There are countries that don't get along. There are sections in their own country that don't get along. These kind of things, just like it is in our world. And so an enemy comes from the outside and begins to attack, and they unite as one and understand the only way we're going to defeat this enemy is if we, deny, if, if we unite together to fight the enemy. Knowing who the enemy is was a big thing. They had to understand my enemy is not this other country. My enemy is that great big ship that's coming down blowing buildings up. You know, it, it, it kind of became easy for that. We as the church, and Pastor Rick touched on this just a little bit uh, on the Civil War uh, thing. You know, we as the church sometimes get so divided, we don't not only know who the enemy is, we're not sure what the battle is sometimes. Uh, and, and I'm talking about myself. You know, there are things that, that I see and I'm thinking, am I supposed to be joining this battle? I'm supposed to be, you know, I agree with this person on this and I agree with this person on, but I don't agree with either one of them on this thing. So I don't know. And so we kind of get that thing going. We have to understand who our enemy is so we know what the battle to fight. So we're going to go to the word of God and see what it says about it. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, we are not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. That's the contemporary English version. You guys, if you're like me, uh, in the 70s, I went to uh, a Christian grammar school and we learned everything in King James. And so you probably heard it something like this that said, for we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual rulers and high places, you know, th those kind of things. Um, I like the contemporary English version. It puts it really plain here. We are not fighting against humans. We are not fighting against humans. We are fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm. There are things in the spiritual world that we're fighting against. My enemy is not the person who disagrees with me about a presidential choice. My enemy is not the person who looks different than I do, be that be that race, be that, uh, uh, be that ideology, be that the way that, they, you know, from where they're from, any, whatever it is, my enemy are not the people who, try, who, who, who get on the air and they say that God is dead and if you believe in God, then you're a weak-willed person who needs a crutch to get through life. That is not my enemy. That may make me mad and make me defensive and I may not like it, but I have to understand who my enemy is so I know who to fight. These people, they saw... Uh, in, in the movie, you know, they were fighting alongside people who just last week, they didn't like one another. Just last week, they were at battle over, over a piece of land, and they decided that suddenly we're both going to lose our land if we don't fight this enemy. We have to understand, as the church of Jesus Christ, especially in America, as the church of Jesus, that if we don't find a way to find the common ground and fight the enemy that we have, we're all going to lose our ground. Knowing who the enemy is, is the first step in spiritual warfare. Knowing how we can do that. Knowing how we can unite and go against that. Now, there are people that they're going to rub you the wrong way. But um, there's a truth, a very hard truth for me that I had to learn. And this is deeply spiritual, so you might want to write this down. Everybody is somebody's weirdo. Okay? Everybody is somebody's weirdo. You know, you, when I say weirdo, you think of somebody, you think, okay, I, you know, there's, a guy, there's a person at work, and you think, I know who that weirdo is. There's a person in your family, and you know who that, if you can't think of the person at work who's the weirdo, might be you, I don't know. Um, everybody is somebody's weirdo, just like the person you think is a weirdo is a hero to somebody else. But, you know, you may be a hero to some people, but somebody thinks you're a weirdo. I'm just, you know, that's just the way it is. 
And we have to understand that just, just like the enemy will use people to come against us to test us, to come against us to try to get us off track, to try to make us fight, the enemy will use us to try to take other people off track. And when we go and when we're staunchly defended about this is right and I know this is right and I will fight you for it, we better make sure that we know because everybody is somebody's weirdo. And you may be mistaken on one particular topic. You guys have heard me talk about this a lot. My mentor you know, told me, I have lists in front of my Bible, things worth fighting over, things worth dying over, and everything else. If your list of things worth fighting over takes up three or four pages on the front of your Bible, you might want to know who the enemy, who the real enemy is and what the fight is. Because we are facing an enemy, we are facing a battle that is much bigger than anything we can do. And until we understand who the enemy is, there is no way that we'll be able to defeat that enemy. So moving on, I've, I've offended you enough with that. So the next thing, what they had to do uh, in the movie, the, uh, the, the, the aliens come back and it's been 20 years. Now what they had done, they took alien technology they had captured from the first battle and they began to incorporate it into theirs, and they began to use alien technology because they understood that the only way they couldn't defeat something that was different from them with their own technology. They had to be able to take the technology from them and use it against us. In order to truly win, in order to, to, to truly wage spiritual warfare, we have to begin to use alien technology. We have to use things that are different from what we're used to. The, worst, the, the, the Scripture puts it like this uh, in 2 Corinthians 10.3. It says, we live in this world, but we don't act like it's people most of the time or fight our battles with the weapons of this world. Instead, we use God's power that can destroy fortresses. We destroy arguments. Uh, you probably heard this, that the weapons of our warfare are not caught up, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. But uh, again, the, the contemporary English version puts this for us. It says, we live in this world, but we don't act like it's people or fight our battles with the weapons of this world. Instead, we use God's power that can destroy fortresses this is my favorite part of this verse. We destroy arguments. It doesn't say we win arguments. It doesn't say we continue arguments. It doesn't say that we pick our arguments. It says we destroy arguments. Spiritual warfare. There's a quote in here. I, I skipped that one, Tommy. I'm sorry. There's a quote that uh, it's in here, and this comes from a very wise person. I said it. It said, um, using physical weapons to fight a spiritual battle is the equivalent of bringing a knife to a gunfight. Now, here's the thing. You know, you've heard that joke about bringing a knife to a gunfight. Um, well, you know, spiritual warfare, spiritual weapons can win physical battles and spiritual battles. Physical weapons can only win physical battles sometimes, depending on how you know how to use them. I don't care how eloquent my words are. I don't care how, how many languages I can speak them in. I don't care how well thought out my argument is, my words can only win a physical battle. My words, my simple, any logic of mine, anything of that, is not going to win a spiritual battle. No matter how eloquently I put it on Facebook, no matter if I put in all due respect at the beginning, no matter what I say, my words are physical. We must use spiritual tools to win spiritual battles. Spiritual tools can win. I told, this, I told the guys this in the first service, prayer is the first of the, the, the spiritual tools. And, and prayer is something that uh, I have prayed um, during Memorial Day weekend 
uh, I got a new puppy, and she was only about three months old at the time, four months old maybe at that time, Memorial Day weekend. And um, she's gorgeous. She's the smartest dog in the world. I don't care how smart you think your dog is, this one is, takes the cake. Gemma is awesome. And so, uh, kind of like a grandparent thinks their grandchild, you know, my dog is the best. So anyway, so Gemma, uh, I came home from church that Sunday, and we walk in the door, and there is a bottle of ibuprofen open. I have no clue how this dog got the bottle of ibuprofen. I'm telling you, she's a genius. I don't know how she got the bottle open, but there's ibuprofen open and ibuprofen missing. If you know anything at all about dogs or Google, you can look up really fast and know that ibuprofen is deadly to dogs. And it's something that, you know, it can mess them up and can do that. I prayed for my dog that weekend. There are some of you that are thinking, that's the stupidest thing I've ever, I'm telling you, that's a spiritual weapon. I used physical weapons as well. I looked up on Google what to do. We did induced vomiting. I called the vet. I spent, I'm not going to tell you how much money and took her to the emergency, to, to the emergency room and she stayed overnight at the emergency because it was a holiday weekend, of course. So, um, you know, uh, but, but all those things, but I knew that I had a spiritual weapon and I prayed for my dog and I put it on Facebook for friends of mine that I said, if you believe and you can agree with this, pray with me because I love this dog and I want this dog to survive. That's not the weirdest thing I've ever prayed for. I've prayed for washing machines to work before. I've prayed for cars to work. I'm telling you. Now, God has healed. He hasn't healed every washing machine, but he's healed a couple of them that I prayed for. And, uh, he hasn't healed every car, but there have been cars that started that didn't have to. Uh, I have a friend. I, this is a documented. I, I know this for a fact. There's a, there's a friend that I have in South Alabama, and uh, she's weird. She is, but she is, if I need somebody to pray, I will call this person. If I want somebody to take out in public, I'm not calling this person. But if I want somebody to pray, I'm calling this person. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, she had gone to see family in Louisiana. We were living in South Alabama in a church, and she was at our church. And uh, she'd gone to Louisiana to visit family. She had this knock in her car. And uh, if you're a mechanic at all, you know that's not a good thing. And so she's driving back from Louisiana, and that thing is knocking. And so she has that problem anyway. She gets to the Mississippi line, the Louisiana-Mississippi line, and she, she pulls over to get gas. Now, this was, this was in, in the early 90s, so this was before, not, you know, everybody didn't have just debit cards to use. You used cash or you wrote a check, and if you're out of luck because people didn't take a check, you were out of luck. And so she was out of luck because she got there and she didn't have any, you know, she didn't have enough cash, she needed gas, and they wouldn't take a check, she didn't have a, a card. So um, she said, uh, she prayed. And she said, God told me what to do. So she asked the guy, do you have a water hose? I am not suggesting do this unless God tells you. She pulled her car around and she got a hose and she stuck it in her tank and she filled it up with water. I promise you. She fills it up with water. She gets through. She puts it back. She gets in. <laughs> the person who, there were two people on duty at the gas station. One of them got in the tow truck and followed her because he said she's going to need a tow. And it's at night, so she goes, he quit following her at the Alabama state line. She got home. She made it home. I'm telling you, do not do that unless God specifically speaks to you because it will mess your car up. But she used spiritual warfare, and she knew that God could do that. She prayed for weird things, and God did weird things for her because she believed and she had the power, and she used those spiritual, those spiritual tools in order to do that. Prayer is one of those things that uh, our problem with prayer is that we're, um, 
By trade, I'm an electrician. My dad was an electrician. I learned how to do it as a teenager because he said, he said something on the lines of, you might be a musician or a preacher and do something worthless like that, but you're going to learn a real trade so you can make a living at it. He didn't necessarily worthless, but he, you, know, you guys, if you're a parent, you know what he was saying. Um, I tell people that. I have a friend that's majored in music, and I told him, you need to learn the phrase, do you want fries with that? Because you're going you're gonna to need that. It's take it from somebody who has a degree in music. That's the way you're, you're going to need something. My dad made sure I knew how to be an electrician. So I'm an electrician by trade. And we have nine-inch side cutters. It's clines or, or pliers. You know, if, if you're an electrician at all, anybody know what I'm talking about when I say you know, nine-inch side cutters, clines, pliers? You guys know what I'm talking about. Electricians use these things for everything, okay? We drive nails with them because we always have a pair of clines, but I don't always have a hammer, you know? Uh, I, have, uh, I have, I've cut sheetrock with them. They don't cut sheetrock very well. You know, it's kind of busting a hole, but it kind of, you know, it does the job. Uh, it's not what it's, I don't use it the way they're intended for all the time. I have cut nails. I've cut bolts. I've cut my fingernails. I mean, we've done all kinds of things with, with, with nine-inch side cutters. And if you know an electrician, ask them, and they'll be, yeah, and they'll tell you something weird that they did with them. Um, I, I, you know, it's just something we do. We are kind of like that with prayer sometimes. God gave us prayer, and we use prayer for everything and not always in the right way. Those, those side cutters are powerful tools when you use them correctly. They will cut wire. They will strip wire. They will do things. They'll drive nails, but they, you know, there are better tools for that. You know, we kind of like that with prayer. We take prayer and, and, and we just kind of use it. We don't, we don't study. We don't use it. We just kind of take it how we know. And we, you know, we do things like the Lord bless them, you know, kind of prayer. Somebody says, well, God, if it's your will, take care of it. God, if it's, you know, if you love me, then, you know, do this for me. You know, the, we, 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 we don't have any power in our prayer. We just kind of take those things and we use it because like those nine-inch side cutters, we just kind of use them. Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And he said this, and most of you guys, you may not have grown up in church, uh, but you probably have heard at least once in your life. If, you, if this is your first time in church, you've probably heard this at least once in your life. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys could, most of you, everybody in here could finish that, whether you grew up in church or not, because you've heard it. We use it. And we take that and we just use that as a prayer. That becomes our prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say pray these exact words. He said, pray like this. And, but what we, we don't understand that tool and we don't take time to, to learn how to use it like those nine-inch side cutters. Prayer is important. There's a verse, uh, Mark 9, 29. Now, let, let me give you some background. Jesus had taken the disciples and he sent them out to do ministry. And so they went out two at a time and they'd gone out to do these things and they ran across a young boy who was, who was possessed by a demon. The Bible says he was, he was foaming at the mouth, he was growling, he was making noises and he was thrashing about. The parents were freaked out. The neighbors were freaked out. Everybody, nobody knew what to do. And the disciples said, we're with Jesus, we got this. And they walked up and they, they tried to cast the devil out and the devil didn't come out. And they didn't know what to do. So they got Jesus. And Jesus comes up and Jesus cast the demon out. Now later, the disciples asked him, they said, how come we couldn't cast out that devil? And Jesus replies, Jesus answered, only prayer can force out that kind of demon. Now I assure you that the disciples prayed. The disciples knew how to pray. They may have even prayed the words of Jesus. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, they, they, they may have even said, I you know, command you to come out. They did these things. They prayed, but Jesus said, only prayer can take care of this. What Jesus is referring to here is the fact that it's not the prayer where they said, I command you to come out. 
The prayer that Jesus is referring to that only prayer can cast out this kind of demon is the prayer that started before daybreak when the Bible says that Jesus would get up and pray before daybreak. It's the kind of prayer where Jesus would find himself at night when he couldn't sleep instead of watching TV or counting sheep or, or getting on Facebook. Jesus would go and he would find a place and he would pray and he would begin to talk to his father. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in human flesh and he felt the need to pray to his father in heaven because he knew that only that kind of prayer could take care of some of the spiritual battles that he would face. We deny the power that we have so often because we don't understand the power that we have. I have those nine-inch side cutters, and man, when you use them properly, as an electrician, they are invaluable tools. But if I decide that, you know what, I'm just going to use these for a hammer, and I use them for a hammer all the time, they'll get the job done, but number one, I'm wasting my time because it takes a lot more energy than a hammer does. And number two, they're not very neat about it. If I decide to use them to cut sheetrock, they'll bust a hole in sheetrock, but uh, not nearly as good as my sheetrock saw will. It won't make it look nearly as neat as that. Prayer sometimes, if we don't, if we don't understand and we don't begin to, to search after God and begin to, to fuel up that prayer, then we're simply using side gutters to do something they weren't intended for. Our prayer simply becomes, there's a reason I read on Facebook this week Someone said in all of, the, all of the, the discussion going on about what's going on in our world, and they said, all you people praying, prayer won't change things. You need to get up and do something. And they believe that because prayer doesn't change things in their life because they haven't understood how to use prayer. Prayer has another thing that goes with it. It's called fasting. Now, I'm going to be extremely transparent here. I told first service, I'm going to be emotionally naked right here. I, I'm, I'm, going to be as, I'm going to be as open as I know how to be. You may be like me, and even though I've been in ministry for 25 years, and through much of my early ministry, I thought fasting was stupid. I thought fasting was, you know, that's just one of those super spiritual things that, you know, you could do, I guess, if, you know, if I'm real desperate about something. But here was my thought process, and I'm telling you this because there are some of you that may not have voiced it this way. You may be scared enough of God that you wouldn't say stupid, but you haven't voiced it this way, but, but you've thought this. I have given my life to serve God. I have I've given up career opportunities so that I could be a minister and I could follow after God. I have done everything that I know to do to follow God. I am not going to beg and not eat just so I can show God that I'm serious. If my life doesn't show that I'm not serious, then he's probably not listening to me anyway. I'm just being honest. And if you're honest, there's probably some of you that may not have thought those words, but you've thought something similar when people talk about fasting. It doesn't hurt the fact that I really like to eat, and I don't want to give that up either. Fasting is something that's important. As a matter of fact, it's so important Jesus was about to be tested by the enemy. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert so the devil could test him. After Jesus had gone without eating for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus had just spent 40 days and 40 nights. He was going into spiritual warfare. He was stepping into a battle against the same enemy that you and I face. And Jesus felt the need to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Now let me tell you, what changed my mind about fasting was this. 
I have a I, I, I have a lot of training as a, a pastoral counselor, and, and I, I did at one of the churches I was at. I, I, I did most of the counseling that we had, and so in studying counseling, there was uh, there is a, a rule that if the person that you're counseling and the person that you're trying to help, and this is this this may help some of you as well that you you've got a, a loved one or a family member, the person that you're trying to help, if you put in more effort than they do for their recovery then you're probably only enabling them to continue in the path that they're on. And so for me, you know, it was if, if, if they don't put anything into their recovery, if I do all the work, if I do all of the, you know, all of the thing, hold their hand through every, and they never have to invest anything, then all I'm doing is enabling. They're not going to get better because they're not changing. They're not having to invest anything in themselves. Fasting is me investing into God, showing him, investing into the situation that God, I need an answer. I'm not begging. I'm not trying to prove that I'm good enough. I'm simply showing you that I will do whatever it takes to win this battle. Fasting, and it doesn't have to be food. As a matter of fact, for some of us, food may not be the most important thing that we need to give up in our lives. I went to a writing conference and uh, there was a young lady there, and she talked about she wanted to be a writer. And so for years, she had tried to be a writer, and she was always, I can't do it. I don't have this. I don't have time. I, don't, I have to work. I have these things. And so she finally decided she was going to become a writer. So she quit her job, and she was going to take a year and travel the country on a bicycle and write. And that's how she did it. And it worked. And she became, her blog was picked up, and she became a writer. She's a professional writer. That's what she does for a living now. She writes. And she told us at that conference, and this changed the way that I looked at things. She said, I had to give up my dream apartment that I had worked hard to get. I had to give up my car that I really liked and get something. You know, she, she gave it up and she had a bicycle. And she said, my transportation had to be something cheaper and, and different than the car, my dream car. She said, I had to give up a lot of things in my life. She said, I realized that in order to have what I truly loved, I had to lose a lot of things that I really liked. And there are some things, you're in the middle of a spiritual battle this morning. And it may be a prolonged battle. It may be something that's the short term. It may be, maybe your God has, has, has broken your heart for our country and you're, you're doing spiritual warfare for our country and it needs it. There are things in your life that you probably need to fast in order to reach that. They're not things that are inherently wrong. They're not things that are evil. They're not things that on their own will send you to hell, but they are things that will keep you from achieving what God has, has put in your heart, the dream that he has given you to reach. There may be people in your life that you need to fast. There may be, there may be situations in your life that God wants you to give up. And fasting doesn't have to be not eating. Fasting can be, there are people that I need to get away from because they are, they are coloring my thought process. They are coloring my attitude. There are people in your life that are constantly telling you, you don't need that. You don't really need to do that. You don't really need that. You got this. You don't need that. There are people in your life that are telling you, you know, is that really, that, is that really wrong? Is that, and, and the answer may be no, it's not wrong, but it's keeping me from focusing on what I have. One of my good friends in ministry, he's the pastor, the large church. He, and I, he was a youth pastor. I was the worship pastor. And then he became senior pastor, and I became associate pastor of the church in Florida. 
The church is, the church is exploding. They have campuses all over central Florida. Uh, they run close to 2,000 every weekend. A fantastic church. And Mike did not have a TV in his house. Now, during football season, he was a huge Gator fan because we were in Gainesville, Florida. He would come to my house to watch the football games. But he didn't have a TV. And when I teased him about it and asked him, he said, I know that if I have a TV, I'm going to sit and watch it. And there are so many more important things that I have to do. I have children that I have to be a father for. I have a church that I have to pastor. I have people that I need to lead. I have people that I am Jesus to. I am the representative of Jesus for. And if I have a TV, it's just one distraction that's going to, be, this is going to get there, and I can't have it. I got TVs at my house. I'm not telling you that that's what you need to do. I'm telling you that God may tell you to do weird things like that. Prayer and fasting are what's required to defeat spiritual enemies. There's one more that's not up here, but God laid it on my heart when I was, I, I was doing some, some praying and kind of going back through my notes last night, this morning, and it was this. The verse says, uh, we, we read 2 Corinthians where it talks about, uh, it, it says the weapons of our warfare um, are, not, you know, are not carnal, they're mighty through God, they're pulling out the strongholds. If you go on to the next verse, it talks about putting on the whole armor of God so we can defeat the enemy. And having done all, just stand. Going back to my counseling training, one of the worst things you can do as a counselor is talk the whole time. <laughs> When you're talking, as a small group leader, this also helps if you're trying to have a discussion. If all you do is talk, when there's silence, we feel the need to fill that void because we're uncomfortable with silence when there's two or three of us there. Unless you're an extreme introvert, in which case you relish in the silence. Uh, but for most of us, we don't like that silence. We want to talk. Sometimes in the midst of a spiritual situation as Christians, we want to do something. I, I've prayed about it and I've fasted, but I got to do something. And so we, we rant on Facebook. We go out and we try to find something to do and we do these. And, and it may not be a wrong thing that you do, but there comes a time when you've done everything that you could do that you have to simply stand and say, take care of it, God. Which leads me to my last point. My last point is this, though, after you know the enemy, after you use alien technology and begin to do things that may not be comfortable for you, that may be different, you have to have ultimate resolve that I will do whatever it takes to win this battle. Because if you give up, you're not going to win. I believe it was Richard Nixon that said, man is, not, man is not defeated when he loses. Man is defeated when he quits. Ultimate resolve. There's a verse in Galatians that says, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up and we don't quit. One of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament um, is, is this particular piece. And, and I, I go back to it when I need to know this is what God can do. The children of Israel had left. They had escaped Pharaoh. And they've, been, they, they've, they've gotten out of Egypt. God is leading them to the promised land. <clears throat> and after a day or so, they come to the Red Sea. After they left, Pharaoh changed his mind and he sends the army after them. They come to the Red Sea, this massive body of water. And so probably a million people, women and children, the children of Israel, they've got, they come to the Red Sea. And behind them, they can see the clouds coming from the horses and the chariots that are racing towards them. 
to kill them, to beat them, and take them back into captivity. They don't know what to do. There are people that say, why did you take us out of Egypt just to bring us here to die in the desert? I was miserable, but I was alive, and I had food to eat back in Egypt. It may not have been ideal, but I had a house back in Egypt. Now I'm going to die. I'm either going to drown or I'm going to get trampled and beaten and take back into captivity. And God spoke, and he told them, stand still and know that I am God. For the enemies that you see today, you will never see again. And God parted the Red Sea. They crossed on dry land. Armies came behind them, and God drowned them in the sea, and they were never seen again. Ultimate resolve means that when it looks as bleakest, that you know that I can't see the answer, but I know it's there. I have a, uh, it was my son. My youngest son, five years ago or so, six years ago maybe, he was, he was 19 years old. He slipped in first service and was here, so I asked him permission. Uh, I was trying to be vague first service. He said, tell him. I don't care. So my 19-year-old son called me five or six years ago, and I was at work. And he said, Dad, I, I'm going to move to move in with some friends of mine. And he said, they're musicians. We're, gonna, you know, we're in a band together. We work together. Uh, so we're going to go. He, he had his own car. He made, had, his, had a job. He had his own money. He was, tip, he was legally an adult. He was my baby, and, uh, and I wanted to scream in the phone, don't do it. This is, you do not need to do this. And God stopped me, and he said, you've got to let him do this. So I talked to him, and I said, well, okay, we'll talk, and we'll figure it out. And I was at the, I was at, uh, at the warehouse at my office, and um, I was the only one back at the warehouse, and I just began to bawl. Because I knew, I knew that he was going into something that he was unprepared for and that he, he didn't need to be in. And uh, long story short, he moved out. He began to get into situations. He got into drugs. He got into some things that uh, it was terrible. He was miserable. He didn't realize how miserable he was at the time, but he was miserable. And so my wife and I began to, we entered it. I learned a lot about spiritual warfare. I learned a lot more about spiritual warfare in that year than I did ever studying in any book I ever read. So my wife and I began to pray. We, we enlisted Pastor Rick and David to help us, and they helped us pray. My wife would call and say, bring your laundry over here, and I'll do it for you. So he'd bring his laundry home, and she would take the, the oil vials that we passed out on Father's Day. We had, we had several of them. She would take them and pour them in, the, in, in, the, in his laundry and pray. She used to tell people, I'm anointing his underwear. I'm doing whatever it takes. I'm just, God. He, uh, he worked night shift, and so he would leave, he would leave his house about 11.30, so that he, about 11.15, so he could be at work at 11.45. And uh, I would call every night. I called him to make sure he was up and headed to work. And, uh, and then he said, yeah, I'm headed to work. I'll call you when I get there and let you know I made it safe. And uh, I would spend that next half hour it was usually because it was late. Everybody in the house was asleep, and I would pray, God, take care of my baby. God, take care of him. Protect him. He was in church this morning. 
God protected my baby. He kept him alive. And he came back and he surrendered his heart to God and, and uh, he loves God today. You may be in a situation that you don't know how it can work. I'm telling you that but not because I want to I brag how I won a spiritual battle because I'm going to tell you that was not the last battle. And I'm going to tell you there are days that I still have to battle. I'm telling you because you're in a situation just like I was. You can ask Pastor Rick. There were days that he and I would talk and I would be like, I don't know, man. I, I hope God can reach you. And you may be in that situation, but you need to understand that when you do not give up and when you learn how to fight spiritual battles using spiritual tools, you see, I couldn't argue with him the point because it didn't matter whether I was right or whether I was wrong, I've lost a lot of arguments in order to win the battle. In, in premarital counseling, I tell, I tell guys all the time, uh, you need to learn really quick, you can be right or you can be happy, but you can't always be both. And there are times, there are times that you want to argue, and I wanted to tell him, I wanted to grab him and shake him and say, do you not realize and all it would have done was strengthen his resolve to go and do what he wanted. God told me, keep your mouth shut and let me fight. And he saved my baby boy. And he's led worship in churches here, other churches, and other places in the state. Because God, I let God fight the battle. And this morning, you may be in a situation that you're fighting something that is so big and so nasty and so grieved that you are heartbroken. And like we do at church, you come and you paint the smile and people say, how are you doing? And we say, oh, I'm not bad. We may even be heartbroken enough that we say, well, it's been a rough week, but I'm making it. And that's all we're going to say. God knows where you are. And God can win the battle. Don't give up. Don't quit fighting. Put down, the, put down the physical tools and pick up the spiritual one that God has given us. And we can see our families restored. We can see our community changed. We can see our nation healed. We can see our world turned upside down. As, we, as I get ready to close, if you would, if you'd stand with me and come join us at the front. If you're a visitor this morning, we like to close together at the front. Um, there's nothing, nothing special or weird about it, nothing weirder than we've done already. Um, but there are going to be people that are going to be up here at the front, and many of them have a lanyard on, and it says, uh, it says prayer team. These guys, thank you, brother. These guys have filled their tank. They knew that they were going to have an opportunity to pray with some people today that are fighting a battle. And they prepared. They spent time this week. I know some of these men and women that are up here, and I know that some of these guys, they spent time this week praying and preparing so that they could help you fight this morning. And there are people here that want to help you. There are people here that have been in battles maybe just like you have. Maybe nothing like you, but they've been in a spiritual battle and they know how to fight. So this morning, I don't want anyone to leave here today feeling that I'm in this fight by myself. 
because God's on your side, but we want to be on your side. And I failed mind reading in college. And I'm pretty sure that none of these guys have a degree in mind reading either. So the only way that we can stand with you is if you tell one of us and say, I need this. Now, here's the thing. This is something that, that I can't stand that we created in the church culture years ago, and we have to break it. You might be wearing one of these shirts today, and you don't want people to think that somebody who, who works at church, somebody who works in nursery, who works whatever, has problems. Let me be the first to tell you that I am a wicked, evil, disgusting person that God saw fit to reach down and rescue. Not because I'm special, because he wants to rescue every one of you. And I am weak, and there are times that I, there are some of these people that have prayed with me. There are some of these people that have prayed, just like I went to pastor with my son, you know. You, we need each other. God gave us one another so that we could fight this thing. In the, in, in the movie, they had to unite together to fight a common enemy. And that's what we want to do this morning. So the worship team is fixing to start.